0: Welcome to the Early Career Working Group Podcast, produced by the Early Career Working Group of the AII Assembly of the ATS. This show looks to explore issues related to fellows, postdocs, researchers, and junior faculty as they navigate the early stages of their research careers. Today's topic will focus on grants, specifically how to approach and time up the various grants available for early investigators at the different stages of their developing careers from fellow to independent investigator. Joining me today are Drs. Brian McVary, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh and Fellowship Director for the PACCM Fellowship, and Dr. Chris O'Donnell, who is the Executive Vice Chair of Academic Affairs and Professor of Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. O'Donnell is also a PhD, but has been in the pulmonary division now for over 20 years. Uh, thank you both for being here today.
1: Thanks you. a pleasure to join you. Thank you.
0: I'd like to start out just with a general overview of what is the usual... Overall, big picture timeline in terms of the grants that are available, kind of how many years people expect to be on these grants.
1: Uh, the typical pathway for advancing through NIH funding for a physician scientist starts with a 32 level funding at either the F32 with its individual award or the T32 with its institutional award. 32 funding is available for three years of training. Uh, subsequently, that's followed by a mentored physician scientist training award at the K series, which is either a K08. The basic sciences are a K-23 uh, in clinical research, and that funding is provided for uh, five years' time, uh, which is followed by independent investigator awards at the R01 level, which are awarded in uh, four- to five-year increments, depending on the Institute.
0: And with that, I think we'll just jump in from the beginning. And so, you know, talked about 32-series grants being the first step uh, in this approach, but uh, Just tell me a little bit more, what what is a 32-series grant for someone who's not familiar with these?
1: So the 32-series level grants are intended to be postdoctoral research support grants that are awarded to either the institution in the form of a T32 or to an individual in the form of an F32. Uh, The idea is to train uh, physician scientists to acquire skills in research that they don't um, already have. Uh, That includes laboratory skills, as well as didactic training skills in the form of coursework towards advanced degrees or coursework towards uh, advancing laboratory skills.
0: So for someone who doesn't have much of a research background, this would be a chance to really acquire basic laboratory skills, or maybe for someone who's got a little bit of a background but needs to expand, uh, an opportunity then to acquire some new skills or maybe get a bigger a toolkit
1: to work with. Correct. I think that's the idea, is to provide a platform for trainees to move forward as a scientist.
0: I mean it sounds like with that component to it the mentoring team would be pretty important you know for these grants this isn't necessarily something that you're doing on your own but trying to get a, a mentor team together to help you navigate that
1: right absolutely so the primary mentor or sponsor is somebody who is independently funded at the R1 or equivalent level who's had some track record of training trainees to success in 32-level funding in the past, and then there's typically a mentoring committee that's set up in a, to work with the primary mentor. It's really targeted towards specific skills that the trainee is trying to assimilate throughout the training period to expand the training opportunities for the particular individual.
0: So it sounds like you really want to put some thought
1: into who these mentors are going to be and what they're going to add to this grant. Absolutely. I think you need to have a, a specific goals and a specific training plan that individual people will contribute to in a targeted fashion when you put this team together. How long
0: do these grants usually run for? I you say you have three years of total funding.
1: Um, Are they always three years, or how does that component work? You want to be sure that you're going to have at least two years of time available for research activities at the 32 level because the NIH requires a payback for the first year in form of an additional 12 months as a research training, as research faculty, or in the form of dollars if you choose to leave the uh, research training pathway. Uh, So it does not have to be three years, uh, but really should be two years or more in the 32 pathway.
0: So you're really committing up front to at least two years, ideally, to avoid that payback component uh, if you were to, to terminate early.
1: I think so. Unless you're particularly advanced where you're going to move on to the K series, which we'll talk about later, earlier in the time frame, the K could also count as payback for the 32. And so most people will require two years at the 32 level at a minimum, but some individuals may advance more quickly. So we talked about the difference the T32
0: is more of an institutional grant as opposed to the F32 as a a personal grant. As a fellow who's interested in research, should I? asked to be on my division's T32? Are
1: there advantages to that? I think it's important to be proactive about getting on the institution's T32. I think the typical pathway involves assignment to the institutional T32, followed by individual F32 award, and then on to the K. And so I think it's important to be proactive to let the division leadership or the T32 leadership know um, that you're interested in that pathway. I think it's important in the sense that uh, it establishes some commitment to you and your training and the research pathway from your institution. It also starts to provide a track record of funding for your science and establishes your commitment towards training in an academic pathway.
0: It's really a lot of advantages to getting on a 32-series grant when you can, if you're interested in pursuing a research pathway. I think so. So if your division doesn't have a T32 available, are there options to go outside of your division? Is that something that people can look at doing?
1: Oftentimes at the university level, there'll be T32s in different departments or divisions that may line up with your research interests. So you could explore assignment to T32s outside of your division, either within your department or across the institution if they line up specifically with your areas of interest. You certainly need to be proactive in seeking out those opportunities and in, uh, have your divisional leadership be proactive in lobbying for you to be on one of those training grants, if that's an option. Alternatively, if your division doesn't have a T32, that doesn't preclude you from writing an F32, and so um, assuming that you can put the mentorship team together and you have the institutional infrastructure to support training. Can go straight to an individual 32 level grant if your specific division or institution doesn't have an appropriate T32. That brings me to what
0: I wanted to sort of talk about next is the, um, you know, we talked about the F32 as an individual 32 series grant. What are the benefits of an F32 as opposed to a T32? You know, if I'm already on a T32, should I look at writing an F? Is there an advantage to doing that?
1: I think the primary benefit to writing the F32 really is in the grant writing process itself. I think gaining experience at that beginning level of planning a grant, writing it, receiving feedback and potentially responding to feedback is a valuable training experience as you think about writing more advanced um, support grants for uh, your faculty career moving forward. From a tangible perspective. Having your first grant that you can list as a PI on your CV gives you some strength and demonstration of uh, competitive funding moving forward. So it looks good for you to have competed successfully for the F-32. But again, I think the primary benefit is in the process itself. There are some benefits to the program to you um, transitioning from T-32 to F-32 that are important to consider insofar as, number one, it can open up slots for additional trainees to be on the institutional T32 if you're successful in moving on to your own. And number two, it serves as a metric for renewal of the T32 for the institution. So success with individual grant applications is one of the things that we look for uh, when we think about renewal of our T32s.
0: So really, it's a situation where kind of everybody wins. You sort of are able to get your F32.
1: That's the way I look at it. I think we, we don't we don't require our trainees to get F-32s, but it certainly benefits us and them if they are able to. And so we have the resources to support them on T-32s, um, but we ask them all to put in F-32s for the experience and the uh, potential benefits across the board.
0: So you really have kind of a low-risk chance to learn the grant writing process, learn the resubmission process without the the funding concerns if it doesn't go through, It's is kind of nice. When should I look at putting
1: in an F-32? How far into my training should I be? So the timing of putting in an F-32 is a little bit complicated, and it needs to be personalized to the way your program is structured and to your uh, previous skills as an individual. But assuming that you're coming into the program relatively inexperienced in research, we typically think about six to eight months into your dedicated research time to be time to be thinking about submitting an F-32 that would allow for you to have some time to gather some experience and get yourself a publication as a first author, at least submitted or impressed, that can put you in position to be competitive for the grant. It will allow you to have sufficient time, 18 months or more of time, to write into the F-32 for your individual support, which is important, and to potentially enable you to have time available for a resubmission in the event that you do not achieve successful funding initially.
2: Well, one of the nice things about the F32 mechanism is it's really equally competitive for people who have no background in science to those that have a significant background in science. It's just important that you pitch the grant appropriately for the level of training that the person is coming into the grant. So, if you have no previous publications, you can still make a strong pitch for F32 funding if you have an appropriate mentorship team, a great training program together, and appropriate didactic courses. So it really is a very good vehicle for sort of entry level for physician scientists and into the competitive world of grant funding.
0: See, ideally, you'd like to have a first author publication, but not necessary to go in for the first time and so establishing a good mentoring committee that's going to add specific components to the grant. I want speak a little bit to, I think these grants require letters of recommendation. And for someone who's maybe coming from a clinical background, who's just getting into research for the first time, are there specific people they
1: should look to for those letters
0: or things those letters should really focus
1: on? Well, I think it's important that the letters focus on research potential and scholarly potential. And so for some beginning trainees, it may be a little bit challenging to find those people. If you're in the lab for six to eight months preparing for the grant, you'll have a relationship with your primary mentor. And so that person obviously will be writing a statement on your behalf. If you had any research experience before you came to your fellowship or someone uh, from a past experience can speak to your research potential, uh, they're useful people to uh, request letters, uh, and then people potentially on your mentoring committee who have some exposure to you that can provide a certain skill set and speak to your research potential as well.
0: We talked a little bit about the 32 Series Grants. There, it's a good opportunity to get introduced to research, introduced to the grant writing process as part of the F32. The next step after that is how about the K-Level Award or the sort of the Mentor Career Development Awards. Want to transition to those next. And I think, again, just to introduce listeners who maybe aren't familiar with these stages, what are these awards? What's their purpose? So what role do they fit in that uh, transition timeline from sort of very junior fellow just starting research going over to an independent investigator?
1: K-Series awards are mentored uh, physician scientist training awards focused on supporting early stage faculty members to develop a research career. Uh, They can either support basic science in the form of a K08 or clinical research in the form of a K23. Uh, They protect time to support academic development of a faculty member in the form of salary support as much as $100,000 a year to allow for uh, scientific development. The idea is to further develop your toolkit and expand your research capabilities Uh, And begin to establish your independence as an investigator as you transition through the five years of the grant. The grant will provide primarily salary support, with a small amount of funds for uh, research project support. It will be important to have your mentor commit to supporting the project and your transition to independence, and potentially even have a startup package from the division chief or department chair to enable you to really begin to expand your armamentarium to develop independence for your R01 submission.
0: So really you're not going to have enough support just from this grant to establish your own lab with texts and reagents. It's really more you're still working in your mentor's lab primarily with your mentor but you're sort of starting to develop your own pathway with sort of then the goal then by the end of the K that you've established a distinct space that you're going to continue to pursue that's different from your mentor. Correct. So for these awards is a little bit of an extension of the 32 series, and you're still adding you know, a training component didactic when you're acquiring a tool set. When should you look to transition to a K? What, what are some of the signs that someone might be ready to put in an
1: application for a K-level award? Well, I think it's important to start thinking about your K-level award right away when you start your individual F32 award or even when you write your F32 award, because really part of that 32-level grant is going to be a plan to transition to the K-level grant. As far as submitting the K-level award, I think you should think about planning to submit a year ahead of the time when your 32-level funding is running out. That way you have a chance to transition to the K-level award without a gap in funding in between and you may even have the capability to resubmit your K for a second time prior to to your 32-level funding expiring. So I think that's the timeline that's ideal for transitioning from thirty-two level to K level funding.
0: So about a year left, and your either T thirty-two or F thirty-two eligibility is about when you should be planning to submit that first K, with the goal then of having a chance to resubmit, you know, that doesn't get through on the first pass. Correct. What things should I have when I'm applying to be competitive for this award? Is this like the thirty-two series where you? Don't really need a whole lot going in? Or is there an expectation that you've had some productivity on your T32 or F32 time that you can show when you're putting this application in?
1: I think the expectation is generally that you have some productivity that you can show going into the K. So you should have at least one first author paper published, ideally probably two or three, in a total of four to six papers on your CV at some level of authorship. You need to have a plan for a transition to independence and a distinct project that will separate you from your mentor's uh, laboratory. And you need to have a project that's distinct from what you did in your 32-level support such that you can demonstrate training potential in your K-level funding. So you're going to expand your laboratory toolkit. You're going to expand your data analysis skill set. You might be obtaining didactic training towards a master's degree or some other advanced degree through the K award, but it's very important that you're acquiring new skills through the K award just as you are through the 32-level funding. Again, it's important that you have a mentor with a strong history of support of uh, junior faculty members to uh, successful K and subsequent R01 funding, and the mentor needs to establish that he or she has adequate resource to support the development of your project in the form of additional funding for you. You need to form a mentorship committee again. That's targeted towards developing specific skills within your proposal, preferably with an evidence towards collaboration with your mentor and specific contributions to your development plan as you put it together.
0: Quite a few things to have sort of together and ready to go as as part of that award.
1: Yeah, the K award is uh, is is more complicated than the thirty two, which is one reason why we suggest that you write the 32 first so that you can require the grant writing skill set in pieces. The other thing that's really important about AK that I forgot to mention is that you need to have institutional commitment to support your faculty career, and so typically that takes the form of faculty appointment independent of um, success of the grant outcome, or I guess regardless of the outcome of the grant. The, The committee wants to know that you are supported in your development, whether or not you get this funding on the first try and that you have the infrastructure available to be successful.
2: Yeah, it's uh, worth mentioning at this point that the success rates for F and K-series grants, certainly within NHLB High, are are pretty generous. Historically, Fs are funded between the 30th and the 40th percentile, and for K-series grants, it can vary a little bit depending on the mechanism. But generally, they're also hovering around the 30 percentile mark. So given that you have two chances to get this grant, A0 and then a resubmission, then there's a really good chance that you can actually get F or K-level funding to to launch you towards
0: an independent career. So this is a very realistic grant to apply for. This isn't a stretch for most people.
2: No, it's not. You know, you often hear gloom and doom about levels of funding at, at the NIH, but
0: the NIH has
2: really made an effort to stimulate sort of these early, mid-career type grant mechanisms so that we can keep the, the pipeline of researchers going. So the, the, the level of support for, for Fs and Ks, I haven't really seen that vary over a 30-year period. They're very consistently high, and um, we should encourage everybody to try and apply for it. You know, that's in the ballpark of the skills that are needed.
0: Let's say um, someone has just had bad luck with their K or, or they don't get it on the resubmission. Are there other grant mechanisms that they should look at? Uh, when would you start thinking about putting in some of these other grants or what are some of these other options people could look to?
2: Yeah, there are a number of foundation-type awards that you can apply for. For pulmonary trainees, the Parker B. Francis, there are other types of foundation Grants that might relate to specific diseases. There is the the VA um, have their own career development award programs. A lot of the larger institutions also have what's known as internal Ks. These are KL2s or KL12 mechanisms, which in a way are analogous to the T versus F series that we talked about earlier. So that the K the internal K grant is awarded to the institution, and then there's a competitive process just within the institution for people to go on to an mechan- uh, internal K mechanism. This is a great stepping stone for people who may need a little bit more time in development, and it's sort of traditional for as soon as someone gets on an internal K that they begin the process of applying for a more standard external K08, K23. Just one thing to note, though, is... The NIH allows you only to have one K application, be it internal or external, in the review process at one time. So that that allows you not to really parallel process those, but you can certainly parallel process foundation CDA's from the VA and other type of grants with your K applications to sort of increase your chances of
0: funding. It's not that this is something that you want to be proactive about in. And- While you're preparing for your K, looking at what are some other options, foundation awards, talking with your division about maybe an internal K option if the external K is not going to be quite competitive enough yet. So it's something that you're really going to strategize with your team about how to approach rather than just sort of picking and choosing on your own.
1: Yeah, we typically strategize in our research committee as our trainees are uh, transitioning to faculty as to which mechanism for faculty funding is appropriate and the timing of submissions. So we pay a lot of attention through the scholarly evolution of our trainees to make sure that we're targeting the appropriate timeline and appropriate mechanism to optimize their chance of success. Now we talked about with the mentorship committee there's a collaborative component
0: there and obviously some of those most of those folks have their own grants. If someone's offering salary support on on an R an R01 or, or a project program grant, is, is that a good funding option, you know, for me to look at while I'm putting these Ks in, or
1: are there issues that
0: are associated with that?
1: Uh, you should not get salary support from other higher-level NIH grants as you're going through the K process. You may be disqualified from the K if you have effort support on other investigators' r one. so it's very important to pay attention to that uh, when you go through the process. So really, that's not been a good a good angle to go down. It is okay.
0: not. So the the next step after the K, gotten that, the next step you're transitioning to an independent investigator, the R-level awards, you know, sort of independent investigator awards, where you want to end up, ideally. When should you look at putting that in? Is that something that you're getting to the end of your K and you're starting to think about what your R is going to be, or should we be
1: looking at that earlier in the process? Again, I think the theme is to be proactive and be thinking ahead of the game, so you really ought to start thinking about what your RO1 might look like as you begin your K. So start thinking about where is your independence going to develop and how are you going to move into that direction. Ideally, you submit your RO1 in the third year of your K. That gives you time to potentially resubmit before the K runs out, but it gives you time up front to be productive enough to establish your independence and move into that period. There are mechanisms within the NIH where you can reduce effort on a K in the last one to two years in the event that you're successful in obtaining an R01. And so you may be able to have both grants concomitantly towards the end of the K. And so I think that's really the ideal timing.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Any strong K application is going to have a map and a timeline for developing independent funding. So absolutely, you should be thinking about this pretty much from from day one, planning for it, getting all the pieces in place.
1: Even when you're writing your K, you're really sort of thinking about how you're going to evolve and transition to independence. That's sort of setting the stage for when you're going to write your R, which I think a lot of people maybe don't think about as they're going through the process, but it's an important piece. Because really, the goal is to establish yourself as an independent investigator, and the K is a, a stepping stone towards that. That would make sense that that's
0: sort of the natural extension of that is having your own funding as far as being an independent investigator. So I'm looking then to put in my first R, year three, what should I have by that point to be competitive? You know, again, sort of the theme is productivity for, talk about for the K, is it, I guess it's similar for the R, but what, what specifically are they looking for at this level?
1: Well, I think it's important that you have an independent novel idea that you're going to pursue with your R. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that you're going to have to have your own ideas, but sometimes that can be uh, challenging to sort of separate from your mentor as everything you've been doing to that time has been in collaboration with the mentor. So you need a a clearly defined project. Um, You need probably at this point five first author papers, uh, but certainly you need at least one final author paper because it's the final author paper that is really telling the review committee that you've made it to an independent level and that you're ready to uh, move forward with your own career. You're going to need a letter of support from your division chief and or department chair providing commitment for lab space and infrastructure to uh, to support the development of your independent career. You know, I think those are the primary things you need. Yeah, I th- I think one of the big
2: differences between the the K and the R level funding is the focus on the science and the specificity of the review process. So when you're applying for Ks, the review of those grants is usually done at the institute level, and pretty much regardless of the scientific topic, grants are grouped together for review. And so there's a strong emphasis on the the, the mentorship team, the the candidate strengths, the institutional support, the didactic training, all these things that sort of are necessary for for development. When you get to R-level type grants, the reviews are done in very specific study sections where you will now have experts, probably up to three experts exactly in your field. it becomes really a switch from sort of the whole package of you developing to very specific, novel, innovative ideas that they want to invest in for, for the future.
0: So transitioning over from acquiring skills and training, like this, the F and the K level we're focused on, into really now it's about the science.
2: Yeah, it's totally about the science at this point.
0: So if I get my R, is that it? I'm
1: set? <laughs> well the the R is obviously the goal. Unfortunately, where the K supports 75 or 80% of your salary, you really can't uh, apply for much more than 40% salary support on your R01 and really 40% is what you would put in for your first R01, but subsequent R01s are really more on the order of 20 to 30% salary support uh rather than 40. So you're You're not really done when you get your first R01, even though it it feels good that you've reached independence. You're going to need additional sources of funding, whether that's salary support in the form of co-investigator status on other grants, uh, PI support on other foundation grants, clinical activity to support um, some of your training. You're going to have to start to to think about the balance of your activities to continue to support your development.
2: You, You are right in a way, though, Mark, that for most institutions... R-level funding is used as a milestone, a benchmark that really separates you from those who don't have R-level funding, and it has certain implications for promotion. In most institutions, R-level funding is sort of the stepping stone to associate professor. And in institutions where there's tenure, it's going to have a strong influence on whether you get tenure. So even though it may not be sort of the ultimate source allowing you to do 100% research time, it definitely represents a significant milestone in your academic development.
0: An important part, basically this may be a good time to bring in other sources of funding, as well reach out to collaborators, we talked about that sort of co-investigator opportunity. What if I don't get my R before the K expires? Todd, you're putting it in year three, you resubmit, another resubmission, and just isn't working out.
1: What happens then? I guess the first thing I would say is don't give up. I think it's important to be persistent in this field. And if you have good ideas, you're doing good science, you will ultimately find your way and get funded. And so don't take the lack of your first R01 on the first try as a sign that you should throw in the towel for the academic career. I think you probably ought to actually anticipate that you may not get it, and develop a backup plan with your division chief and with your department chair about what contingencies might be available if you don't transition to the R one when you're you're interested in in pursuing that pathway. Obviously, every division is going to be different, and the level of support from the institution will be different for every individual, and so it's hard to provide. Um, general guidance in terms of uh, what you might uh, lobby for, but important to have these conversations as the process unfolds rather than uh, waiting until uh, you know whether you have the funding in hand or not to have those conversations. Importantly, the NIH defines people as early-stage investigators up to 10 years after finishing their terminal training. And so what that means is that you get prioritization in the in the review and funding conversations uh, within the first 10 years of your final degree. And so you have time after you finish to compete successfully for an R01 if you position yourself properly up front.
2: Yeah, the other thing to note about NHLBI in particular is they have very generous funding levels for first RO1s, for early stage investigators. They add a, a 10 percentile bump to whatever is the, the current pay line. So if the pay line's hovering around 15 percent, that means you as an ESI can get funded at the 25th percentile, which is historically pretty high levels over the last 25, 30 years. The other advantage, too, is within the study section structure, all the early stage investigators are critiqued together separately from the more experienced senior investigators. So this really allows you to compete against your peers, and then you also get this percentile advantage when everybody's grouped back together. Another nice thing that the NIH, NHLBI does is that they provide five years of funding for your first R01 as an early-stage investigator, whereas it's traditionally four years uh, for everybody else. And if you subsequently can renew that first R01, you also get it for five years. So there's a lot of really positive incentives in place to, to help early-stage investigators launch
0: their careers. So a lot of help there. To get you started, it's so definitely something to be persistent about. And so the general theme has been not to wait until the last minute, but maybe anticipate some of these issues up front, have backup plans already in place in case you run into problems, mm-hmm. rather than sort of the other way around. So the basic timeline we've talked about now—you know, your, your three years of thirty-two series funding, starting as during your fellowship, transitioning to a, a K award that you're writing in that second year of the 32 series, transition then to an an R-level award, which you're ideally writing in that third year of your K. This timeline, the typical timeline for someone with an MD, maybe with not a lot of research background, how does this timeline change if that's not your situation? For example, if you're coming in with a PhD, is this the same timeline that you follow? Are there differences? Are there things that are important to know? Uh, that might be different than what we've talked about so far?
2: Yeah, well, there's sort of two situations. We can talk about MD PhDs and then PhDs alone. So for those with, with MD PhDs, they usually come in with a better publication base, more experience, and you may be able to make a case for going directly to the K as soon as the person's ready as opposed to going through the F32 mechanism. At our institution here at Pitt, though, we do encourage even our MD-PhDs to apply for the F32. This is because, believe it or not, F and K grants are actually far more complicated than R-series grants because of all the different pieces and components that you have to put together. So we've found that just going through the exercise of... Writing an F32, even for an MD-PhD, will put them in a more competitive position to apply for a K award. Now, specifically for PhDs, things are a little more complicated. First of all, there is a lot of foreign PhDs in the United States who are ineligible to apply for T32 support and subsequently F32 support. So the requirements are you either have to have a green card or citizenship to be eligible for those types of awards. Now, if you are um, a U.S. citizen or a green card holder, then you can go down the same pipeline as the physician scientist. You can apply for the F32 award, and probably for most PhDs, that's a good thing to do, just to give them that that sort of buffer time when they're going through their first postdoctoral experience. When it comes to transitioning to K awards, though, that gets a little bit more complicated. Now, within NHLBI, the focus is on physician scientists. So the K08 and the K23 mechanism are the predominant K-supported series within NHLBI. Now, there are other mechanisms. There's what's known as the K99-R00 grant. This is something relatively new. It has the interesting stipulation that you can only apply for it within four years of your terminal degree, and that also includes, within that four-year period, any resubmission of an unsuccessful grant. Now, the K99 allows either one or two years of continuing postdoctoral experience before you transition to an R-level, faculty-level, independent grant. Now, one of the nice things for foreign students or foreign medical graduates is that this is open to everybody. You do not have to have a green card or citizenship to apply for the K99R00. But as you can imagine, it makes it an incredibly competitive award because there'll be so many more people applying. That being said, though, there are very few physician scientists who apply for this mechanism within NHLBI. And there is an opportunity there if you think this, this sort of fast-track approach uh, might work for you and your career. So I wouldn't necessarily dismiss it, but you need to balance it up against the K08 and the, and the K23s. And lastly, for PhDs who want to apply for K funding in NHLBI, there are a couple of other mechanisms in addition to the K99 route. The first one is is the K01, this comes in two types, there's a K01 diversity grant for underrepresented minorities and then there's a second one for those working in areas of epidemiology, biostatistics, outcomes or implementation science. So you can apply as a PhD for this type of K01 within NHLBI. And lastly, there's also a K25 mechanism that PhDs can take advantage of. These are for people with quantitative sort of methods backgrounds. For example, statistics, economics, computer science, physics, chemistry, or engineering. And the pitch on the ground is that you've trained in these sort of quantitative backgrounds, and now you want to move into the biomedical sciences And that's why you need this extra period of training that the K offers. So there are a lot of options out there, whether you're a foreign medical graduate, a foreign PhD um, within the NHLBI
0: system. So it's a little different, but certainly other options out there. uh, Competition-wise, are these all going from the same pool? PhDs competing against MDs if they're in that traditional F32, K-level, R-level? Are they split into different groups? Yeah,
2: that's a little bit complicated. When, you, when you're when you competing at the F32 level, the physician scientists and the PhDs will be directly head-to-head competing against each other. When you move to the K-series, NHLBI has separated out the K08 and the K23 as only eligible for physicians or PhDs with clinical training. So, That really is an internal competition between physician-scientists. And and as I said earlier, if you want to go for the K99R00 mechanism as a physician-scientist, you will be competing against probably a fairly large and talented pool of PhDs.
0: And then are society grants, foundation grants, are those available for these folks as well? Is that something they should consider looking into given how competitive some of these other mechanisms are? yes
2: again that's that's complicated and you have to do your your homework on this certain foundations like the American Heart which is probably the most generous in terms of its research granting mechanisms they allow applications from people without green card or, or citizenship status so this is often a really good entry-level mechanism for a foreign student in this country. In fact, that was my first significant grant in this country was an American Heart postdoctoral award. So that's a very good mechanism. Now, other foundations, often some of the smaller ones, they may limit eligibility to green card or citizen status. So you really have to shop around and, and see what's available.
1: It's also important to note that at the R01 level, citizenship is no longer an issue, correct? So if you're yes. a PhD coming from another country or a foreign medical grad who wants to pursue a scientific career, the R01 mechanism is available for anybody.
2: Yes, it's really only these career development awards where the um, citizenship status comes into play, yes.
1: Well, thank you both
0: for for being here today. Uh, This has been a lot of great information, and hopefully we'll shed some light for our listeners on what is a a surprisingly complicated uh, timeline, or or
1: certainly can be. So I said thank you both for being here and appreciate it.
2: Okay, thank you, Mark.
1: Thank you, Mark.